All right. Um, okay, so we're in week five of a six-week series on hope. And so what I want to do is just quickly, every week I want to remind us what our anchor, anchor verse is, and it's Hebrews 6.19, and it says, This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. And my hope for you and for me through the course of this week is that perhaps our minds have shifted a little bit to what hope really means biblically speaking. Um, because if you're like me, maybe you came into this study thinking hope is a destination. Hope is to get to the other side of the sea. Week one, we talked in Mark, we, we learned from Mark chapter four, when Jesus said, get into the boat and let's cross over to the other side. And the disciples hope probably was the other side. And in, in actuality, our hope is Christ himself in the boat with us. And so my hope is the same, is that my desire is that God begins to really shape that understanding in our hearts so that it makes a difference. So that when I'm up against a lot, and our family's up against a lot right now, we've got health issues, we've got moving challenges, my mom's having to move, just all sorts of things going on. And I was driving up here this morning talking to my brother on the phone, and we're just talking through all the things that are going on, and he just took a deep breath and said, Whew, this is a tough season. And I said, it is, Kern, but I said, God is faithful. And this isn't going to be the one time he fails us. This is, he's, he's faithful. And it was just a good reminder to me, what is my hope? Is my hope that this all works out? Well, yeah, that's a big desire. But really, at the end of the day, my hope is in you, Lord. And that's where I have to draw rest. Um, so anyway, I hope that this is beginning, like Sylvie said, to bring some transformation in our hearts and in our minds. Um, we talked that as children of God, as women in Christ, we are afforded a lot of hopes through the indwelling Holy Spirit that lives in us. And one of those is God's presence is always with us. Uh, the second is God's power we talked about. And this week we're going to talk about purpose. And I wonder, I want to start with a question like I did last week. Have you ever asked yourself the question, what is my purpose? Why, God, why am I here? What is it that you want me to do? I mean, what am I even good at? And if you're like me, I think of that question, I think of purpose, and I think of a thing that I'm to do, an action, a career, a hobby, a gifting. But what is it that I'm called to do here? And so oftentimes we live in angst. Because we never seem to find that sweet spot. We never seem to find our purpose. What is it? Because I think we're defining purpose in a way that maybe we defined hope, and it's a non-biblical definition of what purpose is. Purpose in my mind oftentimes has been, what is it I'm really good at that's going to bring me the most satisfaction and be the most good for humanity? That's my purpose. So God, what is that? Well, I don't even have a fat clue. What is that? And so a lot of times, if you're home, if you're a mom that gets to stay home, that's a huge privilege. And if you get to stay home, you think, what am I doing? Just wasting time wiping rear ends. What is my purpose? If you're in a career that you don't think really is all it's cracked up to be, and you think, well, what is my purpose? I just feel like I'm punching a time clock. In reality, what we're going to see today is that regardless of where you find yourself in this season of life, your purpose will stay the same. Your purpose is steadfast. Your purpose is defined by God himself, and it never changes. And we're going to look at that in Scripture. But I want to start with Acts chapter 1-8. 
It's not on your listening guide, but you can write the address down. I shared this passage with you last week. And the first part of the passage in verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Okay, so that's what we focused on last week. You're going to receive power when when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Not when you finally get your act together. Not when you really um, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And the second tag of this verse is, is gives you the reason why. The purpose. It says, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now I can interpret this in my own life. To say, Laura, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you're going to be my witness telling people about me everywhere. In Friendswood, throughout Houston, in Texas, and to the ends of the earth. So that means the same for you. So our purpose is to be a witness to the God that we serve and believe in. The God that we've surrendered our lives to. The God that has saved us. Our purpose in life is to be His witness. That's it. And for some of us, that may be like, wah, wah, wah. That doesn't sound very sexy. That doesn't sound very fun. That doesn't, whatever. It is. Just watch it for just a second. Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to be in Mark chapter 5. Now, week 1, we were in Mark chapter 4. Week 1, Mark 4, is when Jesus had finished teaching, and he said, now let's get into the boat, cross over to the other side, which literally in the Greek meant pass through to the other side. Remember how the big storm came up? The disciples were freaked out. Jesus calmed the storm after they awakened him and said, don't you care that we're drowning? And then they got to the other side. So we're going to pick up when they actually get on the shore. They actually arrive to the other side. So we're going to start verse, chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Then they came to the other side of the sea. Another translation that I love says, So they arrived at the other uh, side of the sea. And I love that because it's exactly what Jesus intended when he said, Let's get in the boat. All along he knew we're going to make it to the other side. You and I, we're going to make it to the other side. And so it says, so they got to the other side, to the region of the Gerasenes. Now, watch verse 2. As soon as Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. This is interesting. I want you to stop for just a second. I love this because it says, as soon as Jesus got out of the boat. Other translations say, immediately stepping out of the boat. Now, if you're those disciples... And you're like me, and you're sitting in the boat, and your hope is fixed on a destination, a change occurring, a, um, a new lease on life, whatever it is that we're banking our hope on that's not Jesus himself. What's interesting is as soon as they get to the shore, I imagine they're thinking, thank you, Lord, we can rest now. <sighs> we're safe. And verse, and, and verse 1 says, as soon as... They get out of the stinking boat. A, demon, a demoniac man approaches them. That's a man that is possessed by a demon. So what does this say to you and to me? Listen, the destination ain't greener. The other side of the fence is not greener. And so if I'm banking on this thing happening, I remember when I was 22, the destination was marriage. Well, I've told you, year one was tough. And I remember thinking, this is it? This is the happily ever after? And then I remember 
thinking the destination is the career that I wanted. I got it. Man, I was in a window office downtown in corporate America in Houston. It wasn't all cracked up to be. And then I thought, well, maybe I'm called, I knew God was calling me to ministry. I was starting a church working in a trailer. I'd gone from a corner office to a trailer in the suburbs. And I thought, what? So even ministry wasn't greener. I remember thinking after I got married, well, kids, we want to, let's have children. Well, that took five years. And so finally, when Ben came, I thought this is going to be awesome. And it is. He's wonderful. But you know, it's hard being a parent. So the destination, the shore in your mind, whatever that is, you can fill in your own blank. You and I both know, if we're being honest, it ain't greener. Immediately stepping out of the boat, immediately upon arrival, they are met. Not with somebody that's just sick, but the greatest struggle, the greatest thing, aside from defeating death altogether through the cross, that Jesus would face would be in the spirit realm. And so the biggest thing the disciples are going to have to witness and experience, the hardest thing, if you will, is somebody possessed by demons. And so Jesus is intentional. He understands everything that's going on. And he knows this is a lesson that the disciples will learn. And he also understands what his ministry is. And so he steps out of the boat. And this man with an unclean spirit comes out of the tomb and met Jesus. In verse 3 it says, this man, they're describing this man. It says he lived in the tombs. He lived among the dead. Listen, the enemy that we all are up against, if you are in Christ, you stand opposed. He's always about death disguised as light. He's always about death disguised as life. And so he'll always help you think that, okay, well, that's really where I'm going to find life. I'm going to find life in marriage. I'm going to find life in this social gathering or this social circle. I'm going to find life in this bank account. I'm going to find life in this neighborhood. I'm going to find life when we get to join the club. I'm going to find life when, and you fill in the blank, when I get this career, I get to this level within my career. When my kids are doing okay, that's where I'll find life. And life is found in Christ alone. So he lived among the tombs, and it said no one was able, I want you to circle that, no one was able to restrain him anymore, even with chains. Because often he had been bound with shackles and chains, bound. Think of that word bound. I want you to underline that word bound because I think we live bound up by things. He was bound with shackles and chains, but he had snapped off the change and chains and smashed the shackles. Here it is again. No one was strong enough to subdue him. So we see no one was able and no one was strong enough to subdue him. And always, night and day, he was crying out among the tombs and in the mountains and cutting himself with stones. Cutting himself with stones. Do you know that cutting is so prevalent in our society? Do you know that it's rampant among teenagers? That when, when, when men and women, boys and girls, become overwhelmed with emotions they don't know to deal with, they cut. They cut. And you see this here in Scripture. He's cutting himself with stones. We're not far away from this man. I can read this and go, I cannot relate to him, but once you just sit a little while longer with the Word, sit a little while longer and let the Holy Spirit begin to reveal to you, we're always, we're, we're like all of these characters we see in Scriptures to some degree. So he's isolated, he's alone. 
He's out of his mind. He's chronically struggling. He can't seem to get his life on track. And he's cutting. And no one was strong enough. No one was able to subdue him. Verse 7, it says, He cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, because Jesus had already said, Come out of that man, you unclean spirit. So when this voice is coming out, it's the spirit himself that's speaking. The evil spirit. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time today on spiritual warfare, although it exists. Um, there are evil spirits that still function in this world, but that's not the point of this lesson. The point of this lesson is I want you to see this man's life before he meets Christ. But what is interesting that I want to point out is when this spirit says, Jesus, Son of the Most High God, he is correctly identifying Jesus. Even the demons know who he is. But the purpose of doing so is when a demon would address by name, it was in effort to control. So it wasn't um, a surrender, an act of surrender on this on the demon's part. He's not worshiping the Lord in the sense of, you're God and I'm not and I surrender to you. He's saying Jesus most high in an effort to try and control Jesus, which we will find that he cannot um, because Jesus has already identified him and said, come out of him. Then Jesus, in verse 9, asks him directly, what is your name? He plays that game right back. What is your name? He asked him. My name is Legion, he answered him, because we are many. We are many. Just, just for one second, imagine what this man felt like to be possessed by a legion of demons. Now here's the thing that we have to be incredibly clear about. As believers in Christ, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That's all that's in you is the Holy Spirit. So you cannot be possessed by an evil spiritual force. Now those that are outside of Christ certainly can. But in Christ, with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that's it. That's the only, only spirit inside me. I am sealed in the Holy Spirit. But I can be oppressed. Do you see the difference? There's a difference between possession and oppression. And boy, howdy, do I know what it feels like to be oppressed. Oppressed. I've been oppressed with fear before in my life. Um, we have a history in the women on my mother's side of the family of fear, anxiety, angst, um, my grandma, I think I've shared this with you before, but my grandmother, um, and I don't know about my great-grandmother, I just don't know the lineage there, but with my, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, battled fear to a crippling degree. A crippling degree. And it wasn't like she's just trying to overcome it in her mind. It was like a monkey on her back. An oppressive situation. My mom, in turn, has battled fear. I, in turn, have battled fear. And I remember a season in my 20s when I felt so oppressed that I knew it was not just an emotion of fear, but that it was a spiritual oppression. That I was in a spiritual battle. And the enemy was going for my jugular, and the jugular was fear for me. And so I remember a crippling degree to which I felt fear. My husband's family has battled depression in their line. And so Jason has felt oppressed by depression before. 
So, so understand what I'm trying to say is that we can feel oppressed often and it feels like I'm not in control. No matter what I do, I can't seem to shake this off. Can anyone relate to that today? You might relate to that with just loneliness or feeling out of control. But this man is possessed with many demons. A legion. Now, a legion in that day and age was, was a, a term that was referred to the Roman army as a legion of 6,000 soldiers. So to use the word legion is to communicate a whole lot. We don't know if it's 6,000. It doesn't matter. But he says, we are many. And he kept begging Jesus not to send them out of the region. Verse 11 says, Now a large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. And the demons begged him, Send us to the pigs so we may enter them. And Jesus gave them permission. Just stop. What did we read earlier when it said no one could subdue him, no one could change it, no one had the strength. And they're asking Jesus for permission. All the power we need is found in Christ. There is not a spiritual force in this world that is not subject to Christ. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. We are not immune to trial. We are not immune to oppression, but we serve and we surrender to a God that is greater than all of it, than all of it. And so he gives them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd of about 2,000 pigs rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. Can you imagine what that looked like? I mean, they're just thinking they're on a normal Monday and they're herding pigs, which was a filthy business anyway. And then all of a sudden their economy tanks because their pigs have drowned in the water. That must have been a good day. And so it said the men in verse 14, the men who tended the pigs ran off and reported it in the town and the countryside and the people went to see what had happened. And the people then came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon possessed by the legion, sitting there dressed and in his right mind. It took a word from Jesus to heal this man. I love it. And this is what's amazing. It says, they came to Jesus and they saw the man who had been demon-possessed by the legion sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. I think what's interesting is the way they refer, the way Scripture refers to this man. It says, the man who had been. Demon possessed by the legion. Now, I want you to think about that in your own life. If you are a woman that has surrendered to Christ, that has walked with the Lord, what has he freed you from? I could write that, that Laura is the woman who has been freed from fear. Because I have. I walk in freedom from fear. Now, does the enemy try and creep that thing back up again? Yeah, but I'm not gripped by it. I'm not gripped by fear. Um, so I want you to think about that in your own life. Is, is what difference has Christ made in your life? What difference has he made? Because here's what's interesting. These demons know that he's Jesus, son of the Most High God. They know who he is. They know who he is. But they are not changed by him. Because many of us know who he is and we're not changed by him. Listen, I've said this a hundred thousand times and I'll say it till I die. We can be around him all day long. But until we invite him in, we will be unchanged by him. And it'll get incredibly frustrating. Eventually we'll just stop going. 
But when we invite him in, our life is transformed, like Sylvia said. You know, Sylvia is talking about her own life in the beginning when she began this relationship with the Lord. And scripture was so difficult to understand, and it all felt so new. And then over the course of the years, God blesses her with this little glimpse of how far she's come. And she can look back and go, I'm not the same person. I'm Sylvia who has been trained in the scriptures. I'm Laura who is so far more compassionate than I was 10 years ago. I can look back and, and see so much of what Christ has done in my life that I'm a, I know I'm a transformed woman. And this man is sitting clothed and in his right mind. Now what's interesting about the fact that he's dressed is that if you know the enemy, he wants to isolate us and he wants to humiliate us. That's, that's his goal, his, his death that comes through isolation, humiliation. And this de demoniac is in the tombs by himself. Nobody will get near him and he's totally unclothed and naked. Just as sad as you can get. And he's sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Now, why were they afraid? Because they are recognizing there is a, a power. There is a God here that we don't know. <laughs> and we've just seen him move, and we don't understand this. In verse 16, it says, The eyewitnesses described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs. And then they began to beg Jesus to leave their region. Begged him to leave their region. This is what's sad is that we can look at that and go, that's ridiculous. Why would you ask Jesus to leave your region? He just healed this man. Wouldn't you want him to come in and heal you too? Come in and stay. No, oftentimes, and people will do this, and you'll see this in our, in our culture, is that when he gets too close, he changes everything. When you invite him in, you don't get to invite him in and stay the same. You invite him in, and he starts to clean house, and sometimes it turns you upside down. And so when other people see that and they witness it, some people don't want that. Some people go, you know, I'd rather just stay in this dark culture that I'm in, this dark space that I'm in, that I'm believing the lie that somewhat feels like life. It's controllable. It's predictable. I know what to expect here. Yeah, I'm depressed. Yeah, I don't feel like I have purpose. Yeah, I feel like whatever, whatever, whatever. But I don't want to take the risk of being totally turned upside down. What does that look like? What does that mean? You're just not desperate enough yet. This man was so desperate, he ran to meet Jesus, fell on his face for healing. And then he's dressed and seated in his right mind. And so he's, it says they began to um, beg Jesus to leave their region. Just leave us the way we were. Verse 18, it says, and as Jesus was getting into the boat, Jesus gets into the boat. This is the thing about Jesus, too, is that he doesn't force you to believe in him. The Holy Spirit draws you and enlightens you, but at the end of the day, he's not going to force himself on us. So if you ask him to leave, he'll leave. Leave, Jesus, and he left, and he got in the boat. Because here's the thing. I think the greatest spirit that we battle is the spirit of unbelief. The spirit of unbelief. So much of us stay stuck because we're not willing just to believe that it's true. Just to believe that He really does love me. Just to believe that He really does have a plan for my life. Just to believe that He really does offer forgiveness for me. Just to believe that I don't have to walk in shame. Just to believe that I could be different. 
just to believe that he actually could make a difference in my family's life. It's harder to believe in him in those ways when we are women that kind of that carry shame, that carry doubt, and the enemy just loves it. That's how he hooked Eve when he said, did he really say that? I mean, he's not really worth trusting. He's just holding out on you. And so we buy into that, and we don't believe him at his, we don't take him at his word, and so we live without hope. And so they begged him to leave. And so as Jesus is getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed, I love that's his title, God bless him. The man who had been demon-possessed kept begging Jesus to be with him. Begging Jesus to be with him. Have you ever experienced that in your life? I know I've been to retreats or I've come to Bible studies. It's like, I just want to sit in this space for a long time. I don't want to leave. Don't make me go back home. Don't make me go back to work. Don't make me go back into the real world. Just let me stay here. Well, I don't blame him. He's like, let me get into the boat with you. I don't want to go back there. Let me get into the boat with you. Now, you would think Jesus would say, all right, come on. And he didn't. In verse 19, it says Jesus said he would not let him. He would not let this man go with him. And I think, okay, why? Why? And there's lots of reasons why. And there's lots of reasons why for you and I that we don't get to just hunker down under this little spiritual tent and stay in a bubble. But I read this from a commentator, and I loved it. I thought it was so helpful. He said, of course, this was because Jesus wouldn't allow this man to come with him because this man could be a light among the people of these Gentile cities in a way that Jesus and the disciples could not. But it was also to cure the man of any superstitions. He might have thought that he had to stay close to Jesus so the demons would not come back. Perhaps, too, this prayer was not answered lest his fear should have thereby been sanctioned. If he did fear, and I feel normally, I feel certain that he did, that the devils would return, then of course he longed to be with Christ. But Christ, take that fear from him, and as good as says to him, you don't need to be near me. I've healed you so that you'll never be sick again. Now, what did we learn in Scripture when, John, when he tells us about going away, but he's going to bring a helper in John 14? Let me read it. it says, I'll ask that Jesus says, I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world can't receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. And so essentially what Jesus is saying to this man, because in verse 19 it says he wouldn't let him, but instead he told him, go back home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So right then we find his purpose. But I love it because Jesus is saying, listen, you've got to walk in faith. And if you stay right nestled up next to me physically for the rest of your life, you don't ever, ever, ever have to risk anything. You don't ever have to go back to those people that rejected you. You don't ever have to face them again. Those hard relationships, even your parents that think you might be a freak still. You don't ever have to worry, well, is it going to come back? Is it going to come back? Because you're right here nestled up in me. But what Jesus is telling you and me, you're still nestled up in me, but it's through the Holy Spirit. You're not alone. I'm with you. But listen, you got to walk in faith and believe that I'm with you in the midst of your marriage, in the midst of your workplace, in the midst of your church, in the midst of your home life, in the midst of whatever it is, your own emotional world that seems chaotic. You've got to know that I am God 
And it's not a formula that healed you. It's not a certain prayer that you prayed that healed you. It's me that healed you. And I am with you to the end of the age. And so Jesus is training this man up and he's saying, listen, walk back in confidence. I'm with you. You being next to me doesn't make you more healed. I've already healed you. Now go. Go back to your own people. I love that. Go back to your own people and tell them. What does he say to tell them? Does he say, go back home to your own people and I want you to tell them the Nicene Creed and I want you to make sure you get it right and then I want you to make sure that you go through these specific points of theology. Now you've got to make sure that you've got the entire book of Acts memorized because you're going to want to tell them in the future how, blah, blah, blah. Make sure you go back with the right answer. Please don't screw this up on my account. No, 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 no. What did, what did Jesus say? He said, go back home to your own people and report to them what? How much the Lord has done for who? For you and how he's had mercy on you. Here's the beautiful thing. Your purpose and my purpose, as long as we live on this earth, is to be witnesses of Christ, to be witnesses of the good news. All that means is a witness means to vouch for, to say, listen, and here's how you do it. You've got to understand in your own world, what was life like before I met Christ? Before I really began a relationship that was thriving? Before I really cared about it? Before it really took hold in my heart? What was life like? Now here's the thing. The majority of us in this room probably aren't going to have some crazy demoniac story like this one. Some of us will. And others of us wish we had that story because it's more dr dramatic and it feels sexier in the spiritual world. It's not. Listen. If you've met Christ and you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you're a miracle. I'm a miracle. And so my life before Christ was I grew up in a great house. I grew up in a small town. I was popular. I was a cheerleader. I had a twin sister. My parents got divorced and that was really hard. But I went to A&M and I had a great college career. But here's what my life was like before I met Christ is none of that really scratched the itch for me. And here's how I knew it, because I began to get more and more critical, and I began to get more and more dissatisfied, and I began to get more and more jealous of friends that looked like they walked in freedom, and I didn't even know I was bound up. But here's what happened to me, too. I remember at night waking up so rattled with fear after I graduated from college and life got really hard because I moved away from my sister. I moved to Houston. I didn't know where I was going half the time. I was in a new job that I didn't really like. And I developed anxiety in a way that was crippling. And there were times I could not literally get out and go to work because I was so bound up. And then Christ came in. And I began to write his word on three by five note cards. And I began to put them on the dashboard of my little Honda. And I read them on the way to work so that I could just breathe to get through the day. And the word of God began to teach me that you were not given a spirit of fear. But you were given a sound mind, Laura. Really? I didn't know that. But you're telling me it's true, so I'm going to believe it. At night, I remember I'd be afraid to go to sleep because I'd wake up rattled with fear. And I remember the Lord led me to passages and said, you're going to sleep sweet. I'm going to make your, your sleep sweet. And I took him at his word. And I said, Lord, I need sweet sleep tonight. And I woke up refreshed. And little by little, the Lord began to transform my mind. Scripture says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's why Sylvia's right and dead on when she said, you got to crack the book. 
And so then all of a sudden, Christ begins to make a difference in my life, and I'm different. And I remember... A year after this little process started, I was working downtown, and I went to my well woman exam, and I found a lump in my breast. Right there. It was right there. Anyone want to come up? It's gone, but you can. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I remember going, oh, my gosh, i got to go get this tested. So I went down and got it tested, and they thought, I'm thinking, surely it's benign. And then they're like, no, I don't know. It doesn't look good. you got to go here now. Go over to this place. They do another thing. Then go over here and do another test. And I came back, and I had a, a few days to wait for the test results. And I remember I was flooded with peace, flooded with peace. And there was a little girl that was working. She was a little temp that was just doing admin right next to my office. And she came in one day and she said, i got to ask you something. I don't understand how you are walking in peace when you could have breast cancer. And I said, I don't either. But let me tell you about Christ. And let me tell you about the difference that he's making in my life. And that is what my purpose is. My purpose is to to just be witnesses and go, this is the mercy that he's had on me. He has saved my mind. He has saved me. That's what it means. And so, ladies, here's the thing. I didn't like that job, so I left that job. I felt like God was calling me into ministry, so I joined a church staff, and I started working in preschool. I didn't like that. And so I moved into adult ministry, and I started doing missions and small group. I didn't really like that. So I moved into the last place I thought would be a fit, women's ministry. And I came home. And I've been doing it ever since. But here's the thing. God's just as pleased with me if I'm working in the corporate world, if I'm working with children, if I'm working at all. So my purpose is not about what I do. It's not even that I'm a mom or a wife. Those are responsibilities God's graciously laid before me. But my purpose is to be his daughter and tell other people about him. That's it. And so the freedom that we get is if you really want that job, go after it. Do it. If you really like this hobby, do it. So much of the time we get self-absorbed and we think, I don't know if God wants me to do that. I don't know. I'm like, listen, I'm a sheep, God. If this is somehow destructive and I shouldn't do it, you just slam the door. But I feel drawn to it. And and regardless, Scripture says, whatever you do, do it as for the Lord rather than for man. So be free. Boy, if there's a career you've always wanted to do but you're scared, there's a little lady that, well, she's little petite. But she, there's a store that opened not far from my house called Kid Creations. And it's a kid's art studio. And you go in and you make all this art. And my kids love it. And I got to know this lady. And I walked in. I was like, how'd this come about? And she said, you know what? Craziest thing. I was drawn with my daughter when she was little. And I discovered how much I love to do this. And I just thought, when the time is right, when they move out, I want my own studio. And I thought, good for you. Go do it. And she loves the Lord. And she's got a little ministry there. With these kids, she's just sweet to them, and she talks about how the Lord has changed her life. But she's doing what she loves to do. And so I tell us all that to say is that I think oftentimes we are asking the wrong questions when we're saying, what's my purpose? Because the intention behind that question is the answer should be some defined role. And maybe it is. God will definitely direct our paths. He led us to Friendswood. He's led me to this Bible study. But at the end of the day, if I sit on a beach for the rest of my life, God loves me just the same. He just wants to know that I'm His and that I'm obeying and I'm surrendered to Him. 
And I'm going to tell other people about him. And so here's the thing. This man that had been totally transformed is going to be more impactful, Jesus knows, going back to his village than if Jesus himself were in his village because they didn't believe Jesus. They didn't believe him. But they can't argue with this demoniac man that had been possessed by demons. They can't argue with it. So Jesus knows, listen, you go back. That's why he says to us, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses to Houston, to Texas, to the ends of the earth. So wherever you're planted in your life, it's exactly where you should be. Be there. And if you've got an urge to go somewhere else, start exploring that with the Lord. Feel free. Explore it. But just know, wherever you are, your purpose is the same. And your purpose, and it's a great, it's a fulfilling amazingly wonderful purpose is because here's the thing. God will lead us in ways that are unbelievable in adventures and he'll put people in our path so that we can connect with them. Let me just give you a quick example. I get my hair done at this place in the Heights called Planet Curls and it's for curly hair. And I walk in and this sweet girl that is doing my hair has bright turquoise hair and tats all over her. And we start talking. Turns out she grew up in the town that I live in. And I start telling her about Jesus. She starts asking me. I don't even know how it came up. But I start witnessing to what God has done in my life. And I just, I don't even know how, how this, it just came, I'm just open for it to come up. She starts talking and she's amazed that I can be normal and love Jesus. Because she's not experienced that much. And I'm, t- I'm like, Lord, little did I know. And I get my picture with her, and I'm like, here it is. And I send it to Jason, and, and I'm praying for this sweet girl. And she's going to come hear me sometime. And she, she'll be blown away because she'll love, I would love it if she would come here. Because this is the last place she feels like she would be welcomed, and we would welcome her in and love on her. And the thing about it is, is that this is what an adventure with the Lord is like. I'm just going to get my hair cut. And I meet this little girl that needs to know that Jesus is trustworthy. And I'm going to be his witness, and now she's going to be open to him in a way she might not otherwise be. That's what it is. And I get to get my hair cut. And it, look, look at it. Look at it. <laughs> so that's what it is. It's like I think of, of Mary Ellen. Okay, I'm sorry to call you out again. But on the tennis court, play your guts out for the Lord. Get out there and have fun. And you never know who that opponent is. She, he might, she might need to know this woman treated me with love and respect even though she spanked me all over the court. Why is that? Why is that? One of the things we say all the time, And revolution within is Jesus wants to always be surprising. And so this, nothing's more surprising than this demoniac going back into his village saying, that's me. I'm a sane woman when at times I have not been. And the Lord has been so, so gracious. Your purpose is to be his witnesses in Houston and the surrounding area and to the ends of the earth, wherever he leads you. Just talk about him. Don't be weird about it and force it down. Nobody's a project. Don't make anyone your project. (laughs) Just be honest. And it helps me to think about it this way. What was my story before Christ? What did life look like? What did meeting him look like? Like what, what did that happen? What was surrounding that? For me, it was in college. And you just talk about that. What did it look like to meet him? So, so that somebody else could understand what it means to meet Christ. And then you begin to talk about what life with Christ is now like. And that's what it means to be a witness. That's what it means to share your story. Have you ever seen that on 
YouTube, just the idiots that they, they interview that saw the wreck and they're like, let me tell you what happened. Here's what the day started out like. And then all of a sudden, and they just start talking about it. But that's kind of the order in which they share it. This is what it was like before. Here's when the wreck happened. And here's what it looks like now. That's what it looks like to evangelize. Here's what life looked like before. Here's how I met him. And here's how my life has been different. That's, that's it. That's it. It's simple. It's simple. And it's glorious. It's glorious. And so my role on earth, it gives me such great purpose because of what we're going to talk about next week. Because next week, at the end of the day, I'm going to heaven and I'm going to stand before him and he's going to say, well done, Laura. Well done. Not because you grew a Bible study, but because you just witnessed to me with the sweet little girl at Planet Curls. That's it. Just be my witnesses and then love the ride. Love the ride. Don't waste your energy fretting about where you think you ought to be. He's big enough to get you where you need to be. Just enjoy the ride. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. And I pray that today you will have set some of us free in the sense that you're big enough for anything that we're battling. Any demon that we feel like we're battling, Lord, you are bigger than it. So we ask that you come in and you bring healing in those places that need healing. And Father, I pray that we've been set free in the sense that we don't have to strive to make sure that our lives count. If we're in Christ, they're counted. And I pray that we would just be relaxed and filled with joy as we walk and navigate through this dark world as lights and salt. I pray that you would bring women and men across our paths that need to taste and see that you're good in a way that's not condemning or lofty or self-righteous. I pray that we would be women that could say, let me just tell you what life was like without him and let me tell you how I met him and oh, let me tell you what it's like with him. It's not perfect. Life is hard. But I've got hope that I didn't have before. I pray that we'd be great witnesses for you. In Jesus' name, amen.